It's always great to feel taller, you know. Um, but I have always, I have heard that uh, uh, that you have to pay more for taller clothes, and so I'm glad I'm not tall. I'm thankful because I was created this way. So I was uh, just letting you know I was scolded last week by a few people for not singing my song our song that we do, our intro song. And so we will have to do that. But I want to tell you about something that happened this past week that I was totally blessed. Um, about two months ago, there was a teacher from Naperville North, I believe it is, or I'd, I've been instructed it was from Naperville North, that said that they have a comparative religions class. And they want to visit our church. And I was a little confused. I said, so you want to bring your class to my church? He said, yes, but not on Sabbath because we, we can't do that. It'll be a field trip. So they arranged it for October, what is it, the 25th was Thursday, right? So on the 25th, they said, we want to come to your, uh, to your church and just have you talk with us, my class, which I thought was 25 students. Three buses roll in with 90 kids plus teachers. And uh, what I found out is that they went to three other uh, worship places, a Buddhist temple. I don't even remember the other ones that they had mentioned. Uh, but they, and we were the last ones on the list, just heading back west. Uh, they went out east and then came back west. And here I was with 90 kids all in these front five pews of both sides, um, packed in here. And it was great. It was an opportunity. And the kids were so engaging. Uh, they had great questions. You know, sometimes better questions than what I hear from older kids, you know, who are debating the politics of church and who are debating the, you know, uh, just the little minutiae. They had real-life questions. Um, and they wanted to know about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, and so we went through a little bit of the history of, of this movement from Protestantism to Adventism to where we come to this church. And it was great. And uh, the teachers, everything. So we might actually be doing this again sometime in the future. Uh, and the Lord opened an opportunity to minister. And I, and I was very blessed. And I just want to share that with you. You know, if we're not going to go out there, they'll come here. So, uh, sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, Praise and honor and glory be to you from now and forever. Lord, anoint us, recreate us, and inspire us with the power of the Spirit. We know you are real. We know you are God. And may we go, like Elder Jen said, may we go with our lives transformed even more today. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, 
I know probably at least one of you in here thinks we will never get done with Moses. And this might be true. But I found out a couple weeks ago that this was creation Sabbath. So sort of called an audible. And we are going to do creation Sabbath. There's only one more week of Moses. So I don't know if that's an amen to you or what, but, but there's one week, but we are going to take the hiatus and call the audible and do creation. Now I do have a disclaimer. I am biased. I am biased. I lean heavily towards Scripture. And that God is real, and that God created. I am also giving the other disclaimer, which might be just as obvious. I am not intelligent. To, as I studied this more and more, and you know, I graduated with a, a bachelor's in biology, but realize how much I absolutely do not know about science, about life, about anything, apparently about parenting. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I am not intelligent enough to discuss this with you. But that is where we have to pray that the Spirit does. Because I know, and I'm going to say no instead of think, that there is an attack against intelligent design. It is not think anymore. I know it. And I will show you it. We are not going to go through, for, through all the evidence and go through the debates on whether intelligent design is correct or not, and specifically I'm talking about creationism. But I'm going to just share a little bit of my thoughts here, in my experience and in my, in my research. The next picture shows about six months before we came here, we moved here, we went to this place. Now, I'm assuming you being mostly from this area of the country do not recognize this place. But this is in the city of Waco. Yeah, anybody heard of Waco? So, there are two things that people know about Waco. The first thing was in the early 90s, and a guy named David Koresh. We know about that. In the Branch Davidians, we know about that. The second thing is... A married couple named what? Yeah, Chip and Joanna Gaines. They are the rock stars of Waco. I don't know if you've ever been to Waco now, recently, if you've ever seen that show. And some of you are like, okay, I don't know who they are. But, you know, some people know. They have built parts of the city around this mecca of stuff that Chip and Joanna gained. They used to have this little tiny store, and they have this show on HGTV, but now there's tours around the city that are paid for and based off of their silo complex. It's insane. 
they have sort of transformed the city into not Waco anymore. But there's a lot of other cool stuff in Waco. And it was only about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes away from where we live, so we would drive there every once in a while and just go visit the stuff. And this is one of the things that, one of these hidden gems in Waco, and it is the Waco Mammoth National Museum. And they have quite a few mammoth bones in this little area that they have excavated. And you can see, I don't know if you can see right here, here's one of the, I believe it was one of the parents here, and they've excavated and they found mammoths all in this little area. Now, ironically, they said, it's strange that we find them all right here. In this acre of land, we find them. And we actually found them in a unique position. We found them where the adults had surrounded the children. This is from the tour guide. You know, he said that, you know, this, you know, millions of years ago, they had all this stuff. And, but then he says, but ironically, they were surrounded by the children. And it, so it was like a, a, a protection sort of situation. But he said it's not like when they protect against a predator. Because they would always face a predator and, you know, and there would have been scattered stuff from a predator that comes in. He said the only thing we could surmise, you know, around Ice Age time, is that they surrounded them because they knew something was coming, and it was quick, and they all died. Like a, and he said this with his mouth, this evolutionist guy. He says, like there was a flood or something. I was like, oh, light bulb. Yeah, there might have been a flood. It said some of, the, some of them even, it looked like at one point they were sort of trying to hold up they're, they're young to get them from not dying, you know, above the, the watermark or the mud mark or whatever it was. From his mouth, he said, it seems like there was a flood here. Oh, amazing. If you can go to the next slide. Stereotypes. You know, we have moved progressively against stereotypes. Stereotypes that have to deal with races or political parties, even though we're sort of moving towards stereotypes in that direction. What you believe. This movie, if you've ever seen this movie, it's a documentary, and it's sort of an entertaining documentary. Um, do you guys know who this guy is, Ben Stein? Who's heard of Ben Stein? Ben Stein, he, before he was an actor, he was an economist, wasn't he? Or some kind of, and he was making a lot of money. Uh, he was actually, one of the businesses he invested in was connected with Warren Buffett and all that kind of stuff. So he was making money, went into acting, made some money there, and he decided that he would make this movie. And he says... My stereotypes have been busted. Because the stereotype with science is that science is against religion. And scientists, if they're smart, are not creationists. 
Did you hear that? The stereotype is, if you are a scientist, and then you are against intelligent design. But this movie says, no, 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 there's, there's quite a few scientists out there that don't necessarily believe in the Judeo-Christian creation, but they believe that something out there must have designed something here. And guess what? They're being let go from academia. These professors that should have been en route to tenure are being not promoted and even fired because of what they are claiming. And they're not even claiming creation happened. They're claiming there might be a possibility that there was a design here. Now, if you read the reviews, I've watched the movie. I thought it was pretty entertaining. If you read the reviews, they're not friendly. You know, they basically say that he's pushing fundamentalism. He's pushing, you know, he's pushing ignorance. Because the next step is that you believe in a Christian God and, you know, and then on. There is the stereotype that you are ignorant if you believe in intelligent design. And it is an open agenda. Actually, if you go to the next slide, I don't know if you realize that this is on the website. You, you've heard of Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia has now become an accurate encyclopedia that people go to. They don't go to it, these books called encyclopedias anymore. The most resourced encyclopedia out there is Wikipedia. You guys realize this, right? Written by common folk. I mean, there, I think there's really some good stuff in there. There's some good information in Wikipedia. But I don't know if you know this. There is actually a branch of Wikipedia called Rational Wiki. And this is what it says on their purposes on the webpage. If you ever look at their webpage, it says this. Number one, it says, wait, it says, our purpose here at Rational Wiki includes, number one, analyzing and refuting pseudoscience in anti-science movement. Number two, documenting the full range of crank ideas. Number three, explorations of authoritarianism and fundamentalism. And number four, analysis and criticism of how those subjects, these subjects are handled in the media, meaning probably with the internet, specifically media. The reason I came across this is I was reading, I was trying to find a bio on a guy named Dr. Douglas Axe, who wrote a book called Undeniable, and he is a microbiologist who believes in intelligent design. And if you go, Douglas Axe, A-X-E, if you read what they say about him, it is so biased that he, they have basic, Rational Wiki has basically said his degrees mean nothing. He is really not intelligent. It is so biased. It's not trying to hide it. They believe he's one of the crank ideas. And they do this with several, if you... If you ever get to see or maybe read some of, the, some of the, the people out there, there's, how many of you know who John Lennox is? Dr. John Lennox. This guy 
I think, is one of the greatest Christian apologists out there. He actually is a professor at Oxford University. It's the small, little, insignificant university in England. He is a professor of mathematics. That is what he has his doctorate in. Now, he, if you ever watch on YouTube, you can see where he does debates with Richard Dawkins, which is a pretty big name, the God delusion of, of atheists. He is probably the biggest name of atheism still out there. There, there are a couple other names out there, but, but he's a pretty big name, and it would mostly because of the God delusion. But John, uh, so you have John Lennox, you have John uh, Simbala, who is a mechanical and nuclear engineer at Penn State University. That's still not a slough university, um, even though the University of Michigan is way better. But, you know, Penn State, one of the Big Ten schools, and he actually proposes that there are some, there are some evidences that maybe the, the laws of thermodynamics lead to a creationist, creationist uh, you know, it's evidence for that. Um, there is a guy, his name is Gerald Lawrence Schroeder. He is a doctor. He now is in, uh, in Israel, but he is a physicist, and I think he's a nuclear physicist to be specific, and he also is very much a creationist. But if you look at the sites, even like Wikipedia, it always seems to include, but the academia doesn't really acknowledge them anymore because of their intelligent design beliefs. Do you believe that there is an agenda? Okay, all right, let me say that again. Let me ask it again. Do you believe that there is an agenda against creation? Yes. I want to read a couple of quotes from John Lennox. You're going to see these. Again, I, I really like some of his, of his work, some of his debates that I've read and heard, and his ideas of new atheism. He says this, and this was probably about 20 years ago when he wrote this book. He says, in China, we can criticize Darwin, but not the government. But in America, and remember, he's in England, but he sees it from, in America, you can criticize the government, but not Darwin. Do you find the irony in that? Dr. John Lennox also says, it is rather ironical that the, in the 16th century, some people resisted advances in science because they seemed to threaten belief in God. And that is true. It's believed that Sir Isaac Newton and some of these people were sort of or persecuted because of their ideas of science by the church. Whereas in the 20th century, and now we're in the 21st, scientific ideas of a beginning have been resisted because they threatened to increase the plausibility of the belief in God. So it's flopped. The church used to say, uh, yeah, science, um, no, we believe in God. We don't need science. Now it's saying the flip-flop. Science is sort of saying, uh, we have proof. You don't even have to investigate that God thing. He finds irony in that, and so do I. I find irony that we won't even allow the dialogue. That's what frustrates me, if you're talking to me, that's what frustrates me most, is that we can't even dialogue about this. 
because I am seen as unintelligent if I believe in creation. But I don't think that's really what the scientific world is like. I actually believe in reading more and more people's writings that there are more and more scientists that are at least questioning, is there something else out there that has set this stuff in motion? That is that has controlled what we have to this point. But first we have to get to Scripture. Because we have to read this crazy language if, if, if we want to see this. And from Scripture, it says this. First one up there in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you guys have known that text for a long time. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the waters, uh, wait, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let me say one thing first before we go any further. Scripture was not written as a science textbook. Do you understand this? I mean, do you really understand this? Because I have heard, and sometimes at the detriment to the creationist movement, I have heard Christians, I'm going to say Christians or creationists, that have tried to use Scripture as science. And if you remember, the purpose of Genesis and Exodus, and actually all of the Torah, the five books, was basically to tell Israel who they were. Because they had just been where? Egypt, for how many years? 400 years, that's several generations. You have forgotten who you are. I'm sure our nation, since George Washington, has changed. We are not the same America. So in all those generations of 400 years, he says, you have forgotten where you come from. Who you are. Let me tell you. This is it. It wasn't to give scientific proof of blah, 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 blah. He's saying, this is where you came from, and I'm going to talk to you like you're a kid. Sorry, because if I gave you the astrophysics and all of this and the quant, whatever you want to say, and sorry, you know, physics, I know they think they're the, the purest of sciences. I'm going to say the biology and everything, the most applied science. So, uh, if you do this, you know, I'm going to talk to you so that you can understand where you came from and why you exist. Because of my love, you exist. It wasn't about science. He could have. We wouldn't understand. But he says, this is, this is basic. In the beginning, God created. Now, by the way... In the Hebrew language, which I love, you know, it's actually different than here. Because if you ask the general evangelical Christian, or maybe even within Adventism, what does create mean? Like, what would, how would you define create to somebody who doesn't know what the word create means? You make something out of nothing, right? And that's not what the Hebrew word is. It isn't. Actually, that comes from the Latin, ex nihilio, 
out of nothing, which they put in there when they translated it into the Vulgate. And they said, well, what does this mean? Okay, we'll do that. Actually, this word, bara, in Hebrew, can you say bara? This word was used in verse 26 that says, let us, and it's translated make, because they didn't want to use create, because we believe create is out of nothing. Let us bara man in our own image. Well, were they created out of nothing? No. Out of the dust of the ground. Oh. Okay, well, we'll just use make in there instead of create. We'll throw those English readers way off. But this word bara, and I'm just going to go on my little tangent here because I love the language, is used in a couple of spots. Do you remember where Pharaoh, he has these two dreams, and Joseph is there, he's in prison, and Pharaoh is really disturbed with these two dreams. And in the dreams, one of them, there were grains, right? There were what kind of grains? There, I mean, not what, what type, what genus, species, what, what, kind, of, what kind of grains? There, was a, there were fat grains and skinny grains. And then... He has one about cattle, right? There was fat cattle and skinny cattle. And that represented the plenty and then the lean years. The word bara there is fat. <coughs> Excuse me. Actually, it is used, do you remember the story of Ehud? When he shoves that sword in the king and he is so fat that he envelops the sword and it goes out his back. It's like, bloop, where'd it go? Bling, out the back. And he dies because he got stabbed by a sword. The word fat there is bara. So there are Hebrew scholars that actually believe that bara means to fatten or fill. Is there a light bulb yet? Okay, I will explain. Remember, this is not a science book. There is a possibility that this rock was here before Genesis 1's account. But what, remember, this is about you people, you humans, where you came from. Concerning life, he says, in your beginning, what concerns you? This is where God fills or fattened the earth. And he did it with light to give you around you. It didn't mean that there was no light anywhere else. It's what concerns you. Unless we believe that everything in the universe was created the same time we were, that same week. If you assume that, then we're, we have totally different views. But he says, God filled the earth at this time. And he did it with, he split the waters and he puts vegetation. And then he starts, you know, he, he starts doing things around this solar system that are important. But not the whole universe. I do not, I am sorry if, I, if you disagree with me. We can talk about this later, dialogue about it. I do not believe he is saying the whole universe was created this week. But there are people that believe that. But he says, on the first day, we're going to get something out of the way. And this is what creation is about. He creates light. Now, the Hebrew word for light 
is or. Can you say or? Now, it has the same root word as are. Can you say are? It's the same Hebrew letters. It's just a different vowel. And the word are means box. So where does light and box mean the same thing? Hebrews believe that it means order. Because you have a box. If you have a mess right here, how do you create order out of disorder? You put stuff in the box. Now it looks cleaner. Maybe there are laws of thermodynamics in this. Actually, the words that say that it was formless and void, tohu vabohu, literally means there was disorder. Maybe the ideas of entropy and stuff were in the Hebrew text, even though it is not a science book. I want to show you just a, a sample of this order. Go to the next slide. In the first day, he creates light. Go to, if you notice, on the fourth day, he creates the lights, the sun, the moon, the, you know, so certain stars. Boom. Do you see a correlation there? Okay, go to the next one. On the second day, he separates the waters to sky and sea. But on the fifth day, what does he fill them with? Birds and fish. Hmm, there is order here. How about the third? The third, he does the, the land, and I just wanted to fit, there, fit it in there, the land and the vegetation and the foliage. He does this, and then what does he create on the sixth day? The land animals. Is there not order there? Is that not about purpose? But on the seventh day, the reason why I believe this, the attack on the Sabbath through creation is so important is the seventh day is about purpose. Because previous to this, it says your purpose, even as mankind, is the first command. And his first command to you is be fruitful and multiply. But that is not the sole purpose of creation. You're right. Yeah, European, Western, we're, we're totally not following the, the be fruitful and multiply. What he's saying is, you have purpose to love. You have purpose to rest in me. We have purpose for relationship. And that is what Shabbat is about. But the rest is order. Now, if you are an evolutionist, my question is, what is your purpose? What do you believe your purpose is? I'm not going to go in all the evidences, but what is your purpose? I want to read something from Richard Dawkins, who I believe is probably one of the most famous. Uh, he, just so that you know, he also works at Oxford. He is a professor of philosophy, I believe, at, uh, at Oxford. And he says this, The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Ooh. No purpose. No evil or good. Okay. If you've ever heard of this guy who is also a professor, I'd have to see where it, he is a professor, he's an evolutionary biologist, Dr. Fatui, Fatuima, I'm sorry, slaughtering, and he says this, the theory of natural selection, and if you know that that's very heavy in Darwinism, 
The, the theory of natural selection is the centerpiece of the origin of species and evolutionary theory. It is the theory that accounts for the adaptations of organisms that those innumerable features that so wonderfully equip them for survival and reproduction. It is that this theory that accounts for the divergence of species from common ancestors and thus for the endless diversity of life. Natural selection is a simple concept, but it is, but it is perhaps the most important idea in biology. If you read what some of these evolutionary biologists are saying is that the purpose is to reproduce and to pass on your genetic code. And the better you do that is called the survival of the fittest. The ones that can pass on are the strongest. By the way, uh, Jen had mentioned this at a prayer meeting because we were discussing this a little bit. If you know what the full title of his original, Charles Darwin's original book was called. It was called On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. So some believe that he was actually trying to see why some races were superior to other races. Why we had what he quotes, savages, and why we had the favored races. Hmm, but we better shorten it, because it's such a long title, to the origin of species. There's no agenda in that. Now, I'm sorry, there's just, we're, we're going to go quick. Uh, I, I do want to say, because of this creation thing, there's so much... That, that we can't cover everything. But I do want to say this. So if the purpose is, is reproduction and getting your genetic code out there, and that's what makes you the fittest, there are issues with this. And it has to deal with what's up there. And I want to I wanna just deal with one book that was done from a study that I think is crazy. And I'm going to use, you'll see, and I hope, hopefully you'll understand why I don't use certain words in this. It's called A Natural History. This was written in 2000. Uh, it's called A Natural History, and I'm going to use this word, of forced intimacy. Does everybody understand what forced intimacy means? Okay. Just forced physical intimacy. And this book was written by a biologist and an anthropologist to propose that there was another reason for forced intimacy. It, it sort of criticized the idea from a feminist author, Susan Brown Miller, that forced in intimacy is an expression of male domination and not sexually motivated. So, you know, previous to that, it was thought, you know, men want to dominate. It has nothing to do with their drives. They just want to dominate and, and violate. But they said, no, no, no. We actually think it comes from evolution. And actually, it makes sense because if you want to be survival of the fittest, you want to pass your genetic code on. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're thinking from that perspective, yeah. So do it. Do that with as many people and do it with aggressiveness and violence. That's what they said is that 
that within the evolutionary psychology, that's, it's just logical. Well, there was uprage from the feminist movement, obviously. That's crazy. What you're saying is that this is part of us, that it is just evolution that forced intimacy should happen. But there were actually evolutionary biologists that praised them for their book. Yes, it's an animal instinct. It is their aggressiveness. Their way to force their genetic code on women, that's evolution. I believe that morality goes out the door. It has to if you do not believe in creation, if you believe strictly in evolution. You can't. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says, unto it, says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. A really good book that I have read, I read this about five years ago, is called The Making of an Atheist by Dr. James Spiegel. He's a professor at Taylor University, I think somewhere in Indiana. And he basically says, you know, you've got Santa Claus. You have the Easter Bunny. Atheists do not push against these, even though they are myths. But if this supposed myth of creation of God is just another myth, then why do they push so hard? And his theory is it's all about accountability. Because they want to live the way they want to live. That's it. And if you can't probably see it there, but it says how immorality leads to unbelief. And he goes through and he talks about science at first, and he basically says, this evolution thing, if you're thinking logically, is just as ridiculous as the way that they make creation sound. It's just illogical. I want to show you a clip from that earlier movie that I told you that talks about how illogical this is. You could end it right there. There's a little bit more to that. I don't know if you caught what that was saying. For this to happen, for life to happen the way it did, and if you understand the, the chemistry, because I'll say it, the chemistry that needs to happen for this to happen, the, the absence of oxygen, then the presence of oxygen, the absence of water, then the presence of water, for this to happen is so unlikely. It's crazy, but we have made it fact in our science books, at least more factual than creationism. But I want you to know this. Evolution is a theory. Do we all understand this? It is a theory. It is not a fact. And so, now, let me say this. <coughs> evolution does happen, but we're talking microevolution. We have changed as a country in the last 300 years. Sure, evolution does happen. Life expectancies have, have changed. That evolution has happened. We're not talking about macroevolution. That's what this is talking about. I want to finish with the ideas of creation. Because we could debate till the end, till we're blue in our face. But creation is what I believe, and I told you from the beginning I am biased. And I want to read our original text. It said this. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, 
And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, every nation and tribe, language and people. He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of water. For some odd reason, this first angel says, I got to remind you, there is a creator. Because people are forgetting. They're trying to erase the stamp of creation. And guess what? What it uses towards it, it says, this creator, idea of creator, is the eternal gospel. Creation is good news. It means we have purpose. And our purpose is not just to forge through and try to push our genetic code. Our purpose is to love. Our purpose is, is to be moral. And it's not what Bill Maher, if you know who that guy is, an outspoken atheist and TV personality, he says, well, ethics and stuff is just common sense. It'll just happen. Mankind just has it. No, 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 no. You were created for it. And creation is gospel. Creation transforms something into something else. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. If you can transform what happened before, you can transform anything. So my last question to you is what then are we waiting for? What then is the world waiting for? Because I think part of the problem is that we have not given the world what it's really waiting for. And it's transformation. So they see hypocrisy. Because guess what? We can debate the science of creation, but guess what? They weren't there either. We weren't there. They weren't there. We can just talk about it. And they can use their science or whatever. It doesn't matter. They can, they can dispute the authenticity of God's word, and we can debate about that until we're blue in our face. But the thing that they cannot dispute is if the power of Jesus Christ has transformed my life, if I am recreated in his image. And the problem is that sometimes in Christianity, we have preached creation because we want to stay true to this, but we show an untransformed life. And they say, see, that's what Christians do. They are like that. And God is saying, I want you to show them the power of recreation and prove this verse true that says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, truly in Christ, he is a new creation. The old one has gone, the new one has come.